if you have talented people underneath you, it, it takes a lot of you know guts to say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna let this person out from underneath me and get an opportunity to go out and do other things. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series helps us to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. This is Andrea Tetzlaff with the Maine Biz Podcast team. Today I'll be talking with Tyler Ferguson of National Fire Stopping Solutions. Tyler was a laborer with PM Construction, and while he was working on a job at Southern Maine Medical Center, he realized there might be an opportunity for their company to expand into fire stopping. When Tyler got a meeting with the company's CEO to pitch his idea, he came prepared with research and examples of how the industry as it stood was currently lacking. Tyler talks with us about that pitch, about the CEO who gave him a chance, and how he grew his idea into a new company. Thank you, Tyler, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And let's kind of jump into your background a little bit. Are you from Maine? I am. I actually grew up in Lyman, Maine. I went to Massabesic High School. And after high school, what were your plans? I actually got accepted to go to forestry school up at Unity College. And how was high school and college for you? High school uh, was challenging. I like the sports aspect of it, but I wasn't always the greatest in school. Uh, I definitely struggled. And I, I went to you because it was the only school that didn't accept SAT scores to get in. So my mom and dad told me that I was going to be the first person in the family to graduate college. So I had to pick Unity because all of the other schools that I tried to get into didn't accept me. So, but yeah, my aspirations, you know, didn't really have any. I'm just really, you know, excited to go into a new chapter of my life and after after high school. So. Did you, you mentioned you like the sports aspect of school. Did you play sports? I did. I, I played uh, hockey, basketball, and soccer all the way up through high school. I really, really enjoyed sports. I, I, I've been playing sports since I was a little kid. So that was something I liked, the, the discipline and the challenge and the physical challenge. And so you went to Unity College. What did you end up doing with a degree there? So I got a degree in forestry and a minor in landscape horticulture. When I started at Unity, I didn't really have a lot of money. And I was lucky enough that my dad, my freshman year, met an arborist down in Kennebunkport and asked him, he said, my son's going to school for forestry. So I interviewed with him pretty much like September, October of my freshman year of college. And I started doing uh, arborist work on the weekends and then on breaks to kind of help pay for uh, room and board at school. I would try to set up my schedule so that I could I could have all my full electives uh, Monday through Thursday, and then I would come home. Unity is only about an hour and a half drive down to, to Saco, Biddeford area. And then, and then I would work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then winter break, summer breaks, you know, work all winter through the month long break and then work all summer. That's some pretty physical work. Did you enjoy it? 
I did enjoy it. I, I like, once again, I think it, it kind of combined with the enjoyment of sports. I like the physical aspect of it, but it was also really mentally challenging. Roping, rigging, I wasn't a huge fan of heights when I started climbing trees, but I think it's something that you kind of learn how to push through some of the fears. And, and I had a great teacher to kind of help me, help me along. So I did enjoy it quite a bit. How many years did you work as an arborist? I climbed trees uh, in the Kennebunk Port Wells area for about 10 years. Wow. Uh, yeah, for Waltersdorf Tree Care. And then when you left there, what was your next uh, career move? So I went on to work for PM Construction. Graduated college in 2007, bought a house in 2008, got married in 2009, had our first child on the way, and, and, and Charlotte was born in 2010. And then, you know, physically working seven days a week, you know, 12-hour days, winter, summer. I did like the physicality of it, but my body started to wear down. And then Charlotte was born, and then about two to three months later, we found out that we were going to have another child with, so basically Irish twins 11 months apart. So we found out Hazel was on her way. So I realized pretty quickly that working seven days a week climbing trees was just physically not going to cut it. And, and financially, we were struggling. I was, you know, cutting and splitting firewood after hours. And, uh, you know, that was helping, helping us get through it. But, you know, you know, single family income, you know, insurances, a mortgage, two school loans. So, yeah, we, we had to make some pretty big life decisions. And so the end of 2010, I left Walter's Rope Tree Care. And, and really was unemployed. So I started kind of freelancing, shoveling roofs and shoveling driveways, splitting firewood for people, odds and ends jobs, just to make enough cash to kind of get through it and hopefully find my next career. So your second daughter is born and then you start with PM Construction in 2011. And what, what were you doing with PM Construction or what drew you to PM Construction? So I started working at PM Construction because uh, uh, a good friend of mine, his father was a supervisor for PM Construction and uh, they had an opening as a laborer. And I asked him, hey, you know, I was kind of saying, hey, I'm looking for a job. I really need a job. And he finally saw an opportunity to get me in uh, to work beside him. So I, when I started with PM, odds and ends stuff, I mean, cleaning job sites, doing some minor carpentry stuff. I took on two shifts a week before work to clean the toilets and the, and, and the bathrooms at the PM construction building. And, and what really helped out when I got started at PM construction was I could work days and nights because they had, they always have a night crew shift going, doing something and then a day shift crew. So there was as much work as I could take on, which really helped financially kind of, you know, get me back on track to be able to take care of my family. It sounds like you were really hustling to make whatever money you could through whatever means they had available to you. Well, you kind of have, you kind of have to, right? You know, you got two, two little girls at home. You got to figure out how you're going to take care of them. So you started with PM construction doing kind of general labor work. It sounds like. Yep. Really yeah. anything they needed me to do. I remember being on a roof in the middle of the winter, shoveling it off because they needed to finish the roofing and, you know, all the way down to, you know, sweeping floors and throwing windows in, you know, whatever was needed. So shortly into your career with PM Construction, you were um, working on a project at Southern Maine Medical Center that kind of had, it sounds like a, a lot of different things, but uh, you took the initiative to learn a little bit more about construction and fire stopping with that project so that you could help them prepare for an upcoming inspection. Is that right? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So me and Rick started working at Southern Maine Medical Center doing some minor construction projects, uh, small renovations, you know, here or there. And then we just happened to be in the right place at the right time when Joint Commission, who is an inspection agency for hospitals and healthcare groups, 
was preparing to come in for an inspection. So the VP of Southern Maine Medical Center, Mark Fournier, reached out to PM Construction and asked, hey, can you guys go and look at some of the barrier walls in an area that we just recently to make sure that through that inspection, you know, we're in good shape. And, you know, Rick, you know, being in his 60s and me being, you know, in my 20s, I was going to be the one up on that ladder checking the top of those barrier walls. So yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just started climbing up and looking around and started researching what I was supposed to be looking for on breaks and at lunch. And yeah, and then we just started to kind of figure out that most of it was not done properly, which, you know, as it kind of grew, it kind of excited me as I learned a little bit about the industry because it was, it was kind of something new and exciting and, you know, a little bit different than construction than what I had been doing with PM. So you're learning kind of on the job, but also in your own time, what this whole fire stopping industry is all about. What resources were you using to sort of learn that information? How were you gathering information? It sounds like you kind of went above and beyond the experts around you to find information as well. Yeah. So it was, it's kind of was like a two phase thing. So obviously had no idea what I was doing. And so we brought in a local Hilti rep. Hilti's uh, sells fire stopping materials, but they also are a heavy tool company. So the PM construction knew the rep through the construction side. And so when we brought the rep in, he was like, oh, this is bigger than, than I can help you with. So I'm going to bring you in my specialist from Boston. And that's when I met Chris Allington. He came up and kind of walked me through fire stopping, how systems should be installed. And that kind of opened my eyes to what direction I should be studying. So, and then I was able to, in the evenings, you know, I have to get the girls to bed, kind of go through and do deep dives into, you know, the history of fire stopping, any form of resource that I can understand, you know, and it took me a while to wrap my head around because it's really code based. So, and to me, that was very foreign. So, but it's like anything, the more you start to kind of look at it and the, the more you put effort into something, it starts to kind of can all the dots connect, if that makes sense. So it sounds like you were gathering information from experts that you all were bringing in, but also utilizing your own personal time to be going the extra step and learning a little bit more. Yeah. Cause the people that I, I were getting resources from, they only had so much time and they only had so much knowledge. And, and really when I started doing the research, it was to make sure that for PM construction sake, when we sat down and provided documentation that the fire stopping was not installed properly, that I had enough knowledge behind me that I was going to be able to support those claims to be able to, you know, to do a good job. But as I started to look into the industry and as I started doing that research, that's when that kind of light bulb came on and went, oh, there's not that many companies that do this. There's not many people that know anything about this really at all. You know, because as I started to look into finding resources and I looked around for a while and I couldn't find anything, you know, so that that's when it kind of like, wow, there's there's a lot to this. It's a life safety aspect. It's really important. It, it protects lives and nobody knows anything about it. So that's when my idea of like, oh, this could be something different business-wise rather than just doing my job for PM construction. That's when it kind of clicked. I'm assuming everything went well with the inspection at Southern Maine Medical Center with the information that you all had provided for them, or were there major changes that needed to be made to, to get to where they needed to be? I will say on our part, we did a really good job of providing enough information to defend the industry as a whole. If, if nobody knows anything about it and nobody is inspecting it properly and nobody's doing it right. I mean, whose fault is it? It's not done right. So that that's that's the part of it where, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that needed to be replaced, repaired. And that's really where I got my first opportunity to start to get hands on fire stopping experience. And, and that was that was really important for me to help 
you know, better understand the industry as a whole, not only the, the documentation side or the, or the, the knowledge side, but the hands-on side of, of what it takes to install fire stopping materials properly. Sure. And without getting too technical, can you explain to us what fire stopping is? Yeah, absolutely. So the basic, and it is, it is pretty technical. So this is, <laughs> it's kind of like the elevator pitch, right? So when an architect designs a building, mostly commercial buildings, you know, hospitals, healthcare, jails, most any commercial building has uh, fire stopping barriers in some sort, but kind of if you think of it as a triangle, so you've got suppression, which is basically, you know, the sprinkler system suppressing the fire. If there is a fire, you've got the alarm system to let you know that there's a fire and that you need to evacuate. And the other part of the triangle that nobody really knows anything about is, com is compartmentalization. And compartmentalization is taking the building and, and dividing it into quadrants and sections to stop the passage of fire and smoke. Because most people um, who die in a fire die from smoke inhalation, not from the actual fire exposure itself. And, and if you think about what happens when you when the sprinkler system goes off and you put water on fire, you create a lot of smoke and a lot of hot gases. And that will spread throughout the building if it's not compartmentalized properly. So what we do, we have to make sure the wall itself is built to meet a certain hourly rating, you know, one, two, three, four walls and floors. Floors are typically rated as well in commercial buildings. And then anytime you run a pipe, a duct, you've got a gap in those spaces that needs to be sealed up to the same level of the rating. So if a wall is one hour rated and you run a pipe through it, you need to seal up both sides of that pipe to bring that wall back to kind of full compliance. And so at this point, you are general laborer at PM Construction. You're kind of festering this idea in your mind of, of what fire stopping could mean for the company and having it be a business idea. And you ask for a meeting with the CEO to propose this idea of a new branch of the business for them to expand into and, and give you a shot at that. Is that right? Yeah. So after we were doing the research um, and we discovered the issues um, that needed to be to fix, need to be fixed, we, we were there for about two months doing the work. And that was just kind of my brain was, was going, you know, a mile a minute on what this could potentially look like. And you know, go home and, 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 and kind of look around and study the industry. And, and, and I was so excited to think, man, if we could do a small project like this at one hospital, and then I, I researched how many hospitals were in Maine, you know, and then I researched how many hospitals were in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and Vermont. And I was like, man, this could really expand. And if you just did a little bit in, in all these hospitals, you could have something. It was funny because it all happened kind of fast, even though it didn't feel like it happened fast. I mean, it was probably two to three months and, and I would go home and study the industry more for my own knowledge. But then as I started to look into the business aspect of how many hospitals there were, we pick up a small project with Southern Maine Medical Center, this could be bigger. That's when I'm, I'm talking to Rick about it. And you know, that's when the opportunity for me to, to go talk to Bill kind of popped up. I can't tell you exactly how it happened. I just know that it had a lot to do with Rick's passion to see me succeed and this really exciting new thing that I was so energetic about for an opportunity for this thing to grow. Having somebody be an advocate for you within the company definitely sounds like it was a benefit for you. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, I spent, you know, a year and a half in the construction trade with PM Construction and my experience now in, in what we do, we work with construction companies. And, you know, you typically see just in, in general in life, 
you've got people who have really talented people potentially underneath them. But if you have talented people underneath you, it, it takes a lot of, you know, guts to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let this person out from underneath me and get an opportunity to go out and do other things. And I don't think if it weren't for Rick, I would have had that opportunity. I wouldn't have had that advocate. And this, this whole thing probably wouldn't have never happened without that opportunity to kind of, to kind of sit with Bill, the CEO, you know, none of this would have happened. Okay. You go in, you have this meeting with him, you pitch the idea of a new service that you can provide for your clients. How does that meeting go? I went, it went really well. You know, you know, it's kind of one of those things. You know, like I said, I'm six foot five. Bill Nason is maybe five, four. Sorry, Bill, if, if you hear this, but, but the point of that is that, I mean, I was more intimidated than I probably have ever been. You know, you sit down at the desk and it probably felt like it was 400 feet high and you don't feel your legs. And <laughs> I had never really formally met him before. You know, I mean, I've seen him walk some job sites and stuff like that. And, you know, everybody always likes, that's the boss, you know, so, you know, you scatter. <laughs> so no, I, you know, I had, I felt like I had done enough research and I probably was talking a mile a minute, but I talked about, I had researched the type of certifications you can get, how long it would take to get those certifications. I talked about, you know, if we could do a small amount of work inside the Maine Medical Center every year, you know, and there's 43 hospitals in Maine and 42 in New Hampshire and 30 in Vermont and 400 in Mass. If we just picked off a little bit in each one and, you know, I, I probably was rambling on and on and. I'm sure he stopped me and said, you know what? I think this is a great idea. I actually remember him getting up and, and shaking my hand and, and he promoted me to like a field manager. Like it, it was, it, it was a, like a pretty substantial pay increase. And I don't really think it changed my status uh, in the company when it came to hierarchy, but it felt really good. And like, I just remember, you know, walking out of that meeting and just going and sitting in the car and just you know, not knowing what to say, you know, you kind of just want to jump around and get really excited. But we, you know, it was like, wow, wow, this is finally something that I'm passionate about. And we have a lot of work to do is really what it, what it came down to at that point. So yeah, I got, I got really lucky that, that he, that he saw the opportunity and, and really wanted to, to support it. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear from Tyler about now that he had his boss's buy-in what the next steps were going to be to start this new branch of the company and and what success and what failure was going to look like. We'll be right back. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Certainly the pressure, you know, was pretty immense. I was, I was really excited about it, but when you try something and it doesn't work, and then you try something and it doesn't work, and you try something and it doesn't work, it can, it can get discouraging. Welcome back. We are talking with Tyler Ferguson of National Firestop Solutions. So Tyler, you were talking to us about pitching this idea to your boss. Going into that meeting, were you, you know, were you excited? Were you scared? Were you, were you really confident? Like, how were you feeling sort of going into that meeting with Bill initially? Yeah, I would, I would say I was nervous, but you know, at the same time, I was really, really excited. I, I think that the excitement and enthusiasm kind of pushed all that stuff away because I just, I saw such an opportunity and, and I was just really excited to see if we could do something with it. 
So I think that probably blinded me from all the other things I should have been feeling, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you had done a lot of the prep work. Like you had the statistics behind you. You had the information to back up what you were thinking of for this idea. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, I was very confident in that side of it. You know, it was almost like when you're doing the research, you're like, really? Nobody else has thought of this? You know, it's, yeah. it's, so it's almost like I was bringing, you know, secret information to him that was like, oh, <laughs> we've got this type of thing, you know? So what was your next step? So, you know, he was really great at, you know, setting up a game plan. He he said, all right, well, I want to invest in this, but I, I can't just have you on the payroll. And so 20 hours a week, I was working for PM in the field and the other 20 hours a week, I was, I was working in the office, studying, researching, and, and really kind of understanding what it was going to be like, not only to, to run a Firestop business, but to run a business in general. And he set up, you know, weekly meetings with me, his CFO, and some other members of the team. And we would just hash out, you know, what's this company going to look like? How are we going to structure it? How are we going to set it up? And then it was on me to kind of learn you know, the technical part of it. So we did that for, for most of 2012. We had to come up with a name. You know, we had to come up with how the company was going to be financially supported, structured. What, what does it all look like, right? So that was really new to me. And, and having those, you know, people in the room that have been in business for that long was really helpful, really, you know, great mentoring. Yeah, I was going to say, it really sounds like you were surrounded by sort of mentors and advocates that were helpful for you in, in building on this idea. Yeah, because I think with anything, you know, the CEO of a company does not have time to micromanage a small branch of something that might happen. He His job is to support the idea of it if he believes in it and, and to kind of help guide it along. But the support that he provided was just enough. The rest of it, you have to kind of learn on your own, just like anything, you know. So it was it was really helpful for me. And, and I grew a lot in, in that year and understanding a lot more about how businesses work. Right. So... So then in, in 2013, what was then called Northeast Fire Stopping Solutions is born and you are the one and only employee? I am. Yeah. So we grand open January 2013. Uh, we are officially a company. Uh, Northeast Fire Stopping Solutions was born and we built a structure. You know, we know what the hierarchy is going to look like, but we have one play uh, and, that, and that's me. So we didn't have any work because obviously we just started. So I started learning how to bid projects, you know, learning how to look through plans, estimating new construction. Bill was very, very helpful with that. Obviously he was a busy guy, but he, he gave me as much time as he could. And, and I tried to make up the rest. So January started off really exciting. And then, you know, the month goes by and you're, you're not winning anything and, and you don't have any, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So it started to get a little bit stressful because it's like, you know, this whole, we spent the last nine months building this thing in a war room and now it has to work because, you know, uh, you know, I was not, you know, naive enough to think that somebody who invests in a business does it to lose money. Right. right. So we had to figure out how we were going to, to make this work. So, so essentially you have to prove to your employer that he was right to take this risk and, and to believe in you. So was that, was that overwhelming to you? Were you intimidated by that? Were you charged by it? How did that feel? I think a little bit of, of all those things. Certainly the pressure, you know, was pretty immense. I was, I was really excited about it, but when you try something and it doesn't work and then you try something and it doesn't work and you try something and it doesn't work, it can, it can get discouraging. And, you know, you're putting bids out and you're not winning them. You don't know what direction to go. It, it, it was a little nerve wracking. For me, it was a driver. It pushed me to do some things that 
I, that I probably wouldn't have done without the pressure. So first project we, we really ever won, it was at South Portland High School with a construction company and I walk in and uh, I was desperate, you know? So I walked into the trailer, they didn't know I was coming. You know, I'm just driving around looking for construction sites. Walked in and said, hey, you know, we're a fire stop company. And it's like, oh, he's like, okay. No, he had a little bit of understanding of fire stopping, which is which was unusual, which was helpful. And he, he entertained, you know, sitting with me and talking and we started talking. And he said, okay, so how long he has been around? And you kind of, you know, okay, well, a couple of years, you know, a couple months, right? So <laughs> you, you got to fake it till you make it at a certain point. Nobody wants to hire somebody that started a day ago right. and never done a project. So, so you kind of, you kind of white lie it a little bit. And he said, well, you know, I think I can give you the MEPs, which is the mechanical side of, of the, of the project. Uh, and I was really excited. He said, so get me a good price and, and uh, we'll talk. So I went back, you know, to my office and I'm putting together the numbers and, you know, the numbers I came up with, I'm like, this, this isn't going to work. So I, I just cut the number in half because we needed to start, we needed to start getting projects, right? So we got on the projects and we ended up winning it. Got on the project, started working there for about a month, tried really hard to pick up as many change orders as we could just to kind of continue to make it work. But Bill was excited that we got guys. So I had to kind of hire a few people, start to train some people. And then actually kind of February went by pretty quick and then all, a bunch of the trades, the electrical contractor and the plumbing contractor saw what we were doing and they were doing the Eastland Park Hotel renovation. And they said, hey, I think you should talk you know, to somebody over at that project for us because the way you're doing it is not the way we're doing it. And you, whatever you're doing, it looks right. You're labeling it. It looks pretty, right? So, so I went over there. And we end up picking up the electrical contract, you know, at a TNM right over there. Then we pick up the, you know, the plumbing contract. And now all of a sudden, we've got three projects on hand and, and I need to hire six people. So, you know, you're hiring, you're training, you're estimating, and you're kind of running all these projects. And it went from like zero to 60 real fast. So all good problems to have, right? That's exciting. It, I'm sure it felt sort of validating, right? To know that this idea that you have in this, in this void that you were seeing in the industry was obviously so needed that you could snowball that quickly with the, with the company. Yes, I would probably say the first uh, couple of projects when I did walk on them, like that project, I probably won those projects purely on the energy that I was exuding when I walked on those sites. <laughs> like, this is gonna work. I'm so excited to, to you know to be working, you know, and this is this is a business, and I'm I'm running a business. This is crazy, you know. And they were probably like, hey, well, the energy he has, he's gonna figure it out. So by 2018, Northeast Firestop Solutions had uh, seen so much success that you were able to move from being a division. Um, of PM construction to a standalone company. And I'm just curious, you know, at that point, are you able to sort of look back and reflect with sort of a, a pride or a fulfillment, bringing this from an idea that started on a project at, at Southern Maine Medical Center to this, you know, full-fledged companies with many employees and, and delivering a, a needed service to the industry? You know, it happens in small doses and it, it, it for me, it, it happens in kind of weird places, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, driving into work or, you know, in the shower in the morning. But what, what ends up happening is you're, you're so busy and it, it, it's growing so fast that you ultimately really don't have time. And, and then for me, it's exciting to be able to, to do what I do. But for me, because I do one part of it, I do my part of it. And every other employee in the company does their part. And it's all equally important because if I'm not doing my job well, 
and, and the installer isn't doing his job well, or the regional manager isn't doing his job well, then ultimately the company doesn't succeed. So for me, it's hard for me to think anymore about look what I've done. It's it's more about look what we've done. So it's kind of a different perspective because there's absolutely no way now, I, I can look back and say that in, in you know from tw from 2012 to 2013, I accomplished a lot of stuff. But you know, as we've grown, we have so many different people doing so many amazing things and working really, really hard that it's hard for me to take really any credit of that. I just feel like I'm a part of this and my job is to just do the best that I can to do my job, if that makes any sense. Sure. And now I have to believe that from 2013 to 2018, it was not all smooth sailing and wonderful things. So were there growing pains along the way? Were there bumps in the road, struggles that you guys, that you had to figure out how to get through? Yeah, there were a lot. I mean, we, you know, you, you, like anything, you, you design a concept and you need a plan, but the, the plan is there to help provide some form of guidance, but it's, it, you don't stick to it if, if you're smart about it, because realistically you got to adapt and we adapted a lot, you know, how we sell to healthcare, how we sell to construction, what markets we're going after when we, you know, I was, I tend not to sit still for very long. So once things were going well, I wanted to branch out. And I had taken my daughters on a trip to Florida when they were two or three. And I'm driving around. And I'm like, man, there's some big hospitals down here. And I'm like, hmm, we, we sell the hospitals in Maine, in New England. And it goes, well, I wonder if there's hospitals down here. And I remember coming back from vacation and sitting in my office. And I mean, I printed out this long sheet about the 50 largest hospitals in the country. And five of them, like in the top 10, we're in Florida. And I'm like, ooh. So I have this, I have this idea. Oh, I'm going to branch out. And, da -da. and the first year that I tried to go down there and make it work, it failed miserably. I had to rethink every approach that I took to how this was going to work. And, you know, I almost gave up. But I will tell you that the support, Bill looked at me and said, listen, I believe you can do this. We're going to figure this out. You don't have forever to figure this out. But I see, you know, Northeast fire stopping solutions being bigger than New England. So he gave me the confidence to keep going and keep driving. And, and you know, ultimately you just kind of try something. You got to think about it. You try again, you think about it. It's just, you know, throwing things at a wall and seeing what stick and then rolling with it, you know? Well, and it sounds like also being really even just being willing to throw those things at the wall, like not being content with just sort of the status quo or where you are. Yeah, I tend to be the type of person that I, I try to do enough research behind something before I make a decision to do it. I try not to do it and then go, okay, what didn't work and what did work? All right, go again. And if you do that and you're willing to fail, but you have enough energy and, and, and pride in succeeding, then I believe that you can, no, no matter what you do, I think you can. So today the company does exist in Florida and in the Southeastern United States. Is that right? Yeah, we're actually, so in 2020, we changed our name from Northeast Fire Stopping Solutions to National Fire Stopping Solutions. We started in Florida in, in 2017, and that branch is, the Florida branch is thriving. And then we started in the into the Southeast region. And, and now because of the relationships we have with some major healthcare uh, organizations across the country, we're, we're in about 40 states nationwide. You know, it, it's, it's growing, right? And 
so how how large is the company today? How many people do you employ? What are your revenues? So yeah, so we're about a, a hundred employees nationwide trying to grow. Hiring is is I'm sure everybody in the labor market knows that that's tough. We have a really extensive training program to help kind of offset that just because you got to kind of you got to you got to play with to your strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I mean, we have in the last four or five years, we, we grow an average of 15 to 30% a year. And obviously as you get bigger, those numbers get bigger and bigger. So the percentages right. go down a little bit, but so yeah. a lot of, a lot of positive stuff for 2022. Great. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk with Tyler about some of the lessons he's learned with the growth of National Fire Stopping Solutions, also known as NFS, and sort of some of those lessons he's learned and how he sees himself as a leader and the, the qualities that bring success uh, within his leadership position. We'll be right back. Maine Biz is Maine's business news source in print, online, and in person. We inform, engage, and connect you to the business community throughout Maine. Subscribe to Maine Biz products today at mainebiz.biz. You rarely see people with just raw ambition coming in and saying this is what I want to do so if you have that inside of you don't be don't be ashamed to to keep it in if you want the opportunity pitch it we are back with Tyler Ferguson from National Firestop Solutions so Tyler I'm just curious kind of as somebody who was in this labor position and went sort of straight to the top with your idea of starting this new company um that succeeded for you, do you encourage other people to repeat that model of going right to the top with their ideas? So I think I do in a way, I think you have to be strategic about it. If I had approached it in a different way, it probably wouldn't have worked. So you have to, if you have an idea and you're really excited about it, one, you got to do your research first. You got to be able to, so you know, I have a lot of people that will come into my office and say, I got a great idea. Like, you know, great, what? We should do this. Okay, great. How are we going to do it? Well, I don't know. I brought you the idea so you can do it. So you can see it's like if somebody came in and said, we should do this. And I said, OK, well, how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to do this, this and this. It sounds like you've thought that through, you know, you know, tell me a little bit more. Well, I think because I've done you know enough research, I've noticed that this market is weak here and that we can do this and that. And just, and just bringing in enough information to intrigue the person you're talking to to make them go, you know, what? I, I think this person, you know, has done enough research and, you know, has excited enough that I'm willing to give it a shot. And that's really, that's step one, right? You, you rarely see people with just, just raw ambition coming in and saying, this is what I want to do. So if you have that inside of you, don't be, don't be ashamed to, to keep it in. If you want the opportunity, pitch it. But what, like I said before, you want to make sure that you come in prepared, prepared to answer questions be prepared to answer questions that you think that person's going to ask you, right? So think from their point of view and you'd be way better prepared. And it also kind of gets you set up to help answer those questions ahead of time. Sure. You know? So, and I mean, your career was essentially born of your ability to kind of take initiative and your drive to continue to learn. Do you feel like those are sort of instrumental characteristics of success? Yeah, I think I think at a at a really early age, both my parents, my dad's worked at Haley's Metal since I've been born and he's a tin knocker and, and my mom runs a gardening company and hard work was in, ingrained in me at a very young age. And really, you know, as I grew up, the only thing I didn't want to do ever was disappoint them when it came to, you know, my work ethic. So I think that plays a huge role and and, and 
being, you know, like you said a little bit, being adaptable and then also just being aware. You know, if you're doing a task, but you're always thinking about how you could potentially make that task even more efficient or this task isn't working, I'm just going to abandon it. So it probably is the ability to be adaptable a little bit in understanding that, you know, not everything is going to work perfectly the first time. What were just kind of personally, I'm curious, what were some of those challenges that you faced with the growth of NFS? I think my biggest challenge has been learning how to manage people because business is people. And when I started, I thought, oh, selling the work, how am I going to get the sales? You know, that was, you know, in my head, that was going to be the biggest challenge. And then you, then you have a company of six people and a company of 10 people and a company of 30 people. And all these people have different personalities. They have different aspirations in life. They have different family goals. And just because they're different doesn't mean that they're, that they're not as valuable, you know, to the organization. So learning how to manage people's expectations and really adapting to other people's management styles. You know, when I started, I was 30, 31 years old. At that age, I probably, as adaptable as I was, I probably thought I knew everything. And, and so the older I've gotten, the more I've realized I know almost nothing, you know? So it, you become more, you become more of a sponge learning about other people, how other people think that that's played a large role in, in, I think NFS's success, but it's also been one of my bigger challenges. And then my final question, I'm just curious, the whole theme of what we've been talking about today, Tyler has really been kind of coming up with this idea, pitching in it, believing in yourself and really educating yourself to know that your idea is a, is a good one and a viable one as a leader yourself. Now, what, what do you find is the best way to get people to buy into your ideas? I, I try to get to know them. I try to get to know what makes them tick. I truly, you know, do care uh, about the success of the company and the success of each individual person here. You know, I've, I've had a couple of conversations with guys and, and girls that are like, you know, I would love to pay you $100,000 to do what you do. I'd love to pay you $200,000, but what do you got to get there first, right? Like it's so the, the, the sky's the limit. I'm not the one holding it back. It's the, you know, it's the company's revenue and this kind of thing. So, you know, for me, I think taking a step back, listening to people, understanding where they're coming from, what their point of view is, you know? So I think listening, I'm listening more. I mean, that's always been the, my biggest challenge. If you go into a meeting and, you're, and your goal is to talk 10% and listen 90, you might talk 50-50, right? <laughs> but at least you're prepped yourself so that you can, you can listen. And because if you're talking the whole time, you got no ability to know what that other person is thinking. This has been a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. The MainBiz podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Allison Mason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the MainBiz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.